So we do our our job is to work within a community to improve the opportunity for businesses to start and grow regardless of their shape or size. That's Rain's model. So it's a little different than you'll find with any other organizations. A little broader and definitely focused on building the ecosystem, uh, I would say, more than directly supporting the entrepreneur. We do directly support the entrepreneur, but our high value, um, our top level value proposition is, is building the ecosystem. Yeah, ecosystem is everything. This feels very full circle for me. The fact that this kind of, I mean, prior to getting a job at Arkimoto, I was just kind of, you know, Eugene Rain isn't quite Rain, but it's, in my head, it's a similar acronym. It's, yeah. So it's very, it's very kismet that it's like now I'm financially free because of help that I got from Eugene Rain. So you know, th- thanks to all of it. And now I'm at the place where I started my own small business, Kenzie mm-hmm. and I, as a, as the two of us. I mean, I, and I don't know if it. Obviously, you wouldn't probably be the person as the deputy director. You'd be managing people who do it, but like. What are some, because a lot of people might have the wrong questions starting it. Like, you know, like what yeah. are some of the right questions we should be asking? When starting a business, uh, I feel for me, it's, I actually developed what I call a clarity framework, which is like a one page business plan. And uh, the questions that I ask that I think are absolutely essential to get clear and concise about the first is what's your idea? And within that are three other questions, which are what problem are you solving? How are you solving it? And what makes your solution special? Mm-hmm. Okay? Until we can answer that in a very short sentence. That should be the, the main thing of every single person's right. website. Honestly, all these websites are very fluffy, but it just even if it said that question and then the answer, that would be very good. It, it's, it's absolutely essential. And... And most business owners struggle with clarity because if things are left ambiguous, they feel like they have, they've got play. They've got room mm. to... We're very kind to ourselves in our mind. We are. Logical we are. gaps and stuff. <laughs> yes. And actually, that's what my, my book is very much about that. Would you want to take a minute just because I am curious? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, this, all, this all comes back to becoming a better professional but it actually starts with very much outside the business world. So 37 years ago, I was 20 years old, made a bunch of decisions one night and uh, for all the right reasons, but they ended up with me driving off a cliff into the Wilson River. But really actually driving Actually off driving off a cliff into the Wilson River. How late was it? Uh, it was about 1.30 in the morning. Yeah, one, you know, 20 years old, one long night of a lot of decisions tends yeah. to be yeah. late. Yeah. So um, from that, two things happened, both related to me as an uh, related to me and my identity. The first is that I put a bunch of labels on myself: uh, stupid, incapable, impotent, and uh, ultimately unworthy. And I wore those labels for a number of years, and those labels kept me from moving forward in my life. For <clears throat> Reasons that I honestly, even in the book, I cannot specifically identify. I was able, after about four years, to take those labels off. They, they weren't serving me. I recognized that. And I was able to replace them with different labels. Mm. Blessed to be alive and needing to do something of value. I love that you say blessed to be alive. So I'm... 
actually overall very anti-label mm -hmm. in the sense that it you know, it, it's really nice to just wake up and not be like, oh, I'm this person, I should act this way because I'm presenting. But just being someone who's like, they're a little bit of a wow, like who knows what they're doing. But because um, obviously I have screen printing stuff, I'm um, completely switching it up away from talks with Tell You. This is just mm -hmm. a passion project. Yeah. Like I want my kid to be able to hear what I'm like at 20. And the, I just when I'm 60, I want to remember all the people I was talking to at different times in my life. So it's, you know, for that. And then obviously people can come on. It's like, have it said, and then I can actually write this down and have it on my website um, as the, the ideas that you said. That was great. But um. I did have one sort of way I'd almost label myself or like have other people do it. It's like, we're not all there. I'm certainly not there, but it's a fun way to say it's, I'm happy, I'm healthy, I'm wealthy, and I'm free. I'm loved, I'm balanced, and I'm grateful just to be. So the, you're blessed to be alive, grateful just to be. I'm like, it's just like, if I have to label myself, I'd have aspirational labels that I'd love to live up to, Yeah, you know? Um, and funny enough, the other one is uh, nothing matters, but it feels good to do good, which is your other one, which is, <laughs> so it's, it's very funny that at, at some core moments in life, you kind of come back to the basics, which is nothing really matters, but you can take that nihilistically or you can take it like, but you know, some like the things that matter is reducing suffering in people mm -hmm. and connections with, with loved ones. I, I love the fact that you see that. Um, what I have found, so at the time that I was making this shift, changing my labels, I didn't recognize what was going on. I just did it. Now, four decades later, having worked with business owners and professionals across the gamut, and then also experiencing severe, severe pigeonholing of labels uh, in my, with my mom, um, I have come to recognize how often people are caged in labels that they haven't consciously chosen for themselves, yep. but their subconscious has chosen for them. Mm -hmm. And the dynamic is that once we've adopted a label, so in the case of my mom, who is now passed, in the case of my mom, for the last two decades of her life, she wore the label of victim. And you could not get her to remember a moment in her life when she was not being victimized. Wow. Her, her brain wouldn't let her because what, what I've discovered through narrative identity has been what I've been studying uh, really for about 20 years. And what I've discovered is that our brain doesn't care about us moving forward towards some big goal, mm -hmm. um, being even happy in our life, what it wants to do is safeguard that identity, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so if my identity, my chosen identity is victim, then the only stories that it will bring to the foreground are ones that, that support that identity. And if anything shows up that is going to conflict with that, that will contradict that, ch that choice, it will discount it. And and all of this is natural. It's a natural part of our existence, and it's designed to keep us safe and small, <laughs> you know, safe in a cocoon of our own belief. Mm -hmm. The idea that we would challenge our own beliefs mm -hmm. yeah, is fairly modern. It's not something that we evolved to do. Yeah, a lot of people identify not even like with their labels, but with their idea, like, you know, like when you might be working with someone, they have an idea and you chat, they take it sometimes as a personal affront. Like mm -hmm. we really like, I'm curious, 
because um, I haven't met a lot of people who are just aware of the, the cognizant of that. Because I've thought a lot about labels yeah. as someone who likes very and and to be fair, um, I'm there's 17 pairs of Yeezys. I'm a quite a big fan of Kanye West, okay. um, which is no big secret to the world. But he he's very like don't put me in a box. So, like he's like a producer and then he's a rapper. And now he's a five billion dollar uh, creator of you know apparel and all this stuff. It's like. From a young age, that kind of said me, I'm like, mm. and then I see a lot of people saying like, oh, well, I'm this. And then you see them following that path, even when it no longer serves them. Like, I almost think it's not only the fact that it's like you either define your life, to, like you have to define yourself or life defines you for you, which mm -hmm. probably usually isn't necessarily a good thing. But also it's like once you define yourself, like you keep doing it like a basketball player will get a, an injury or I have a rock climbing friend. He gets like hurts his hand, but that's his identity. Yeah. So they just keep doing it. So I realized at a certain point, I'm like. Oh, if I identify myself based on something, it'll come back to bite me, you know? So I personally don't identify, but have you found strong identities? Like, is blessed to be alive a way you identify yourself? Or like, where are you at in terms of that? So I've recognized that, that self-deprecating, disempowering labels, sort of a constant. They're, the, the brain, that's actually the easiest thing for the brain to to justify failure is the easiest possible label mm. because it is so easy to prove just fail mm. just don't do the thing yeah. and you've proven yourself right so so that type of disempowering label is very um uh, it's very it's just very easy for the brain to latch on to so i've realized that I'm just constantly monitoring how I'm labeling myself, how I'm responding in certain instances, and is that response productive or not? I call it the command reflex. And ultimately, kind of getting back to the book, that's what the book is about. It's about um, building your command reflex so that you can, you can be aware when you're responding you can take a look at the reaction that is being generated by your emotions and physiology, which all happens before you have a chance to actually think. And so the command is evaluating, is this serving me? Is this a benefit or yes. should I not? Yeah. Man, so defining yourself subconsciously as an anxious person is probably one of the harder traps to come out of. And like, it really is. Wow, like thinking about that specifically, because yeah, man, a lot of people are, um, so youth are the nonprofit we're working for is specifically for at-risk, like suicide prevention mm -hmm. in youth. Mm -hmm. And I've had a very fortunate life where I, I haven't really had to deal with any of that necessarily and I've always kind of checked it and a lot of times as, as soon as I recognize something like for a long long like since I can remember so Kenzie and I've been together seven years and she's never like heard me really raise my voice and sometimes I question I'm like that is strange and then I think just really really early in life I'd see people who do react with anger and then see the other person react I'm like oh that never ever like a life-threatening situation you're getting mugged separate yeah. but like in interpersonal communication like I noticed that there's some responses that never help progress a person in yeah. life toward the goal of uh, health you know physical health mental health financial health yeah uh, and i'm like so any like for me personally like anytime it's and it's you know probably as a kid i was you know probably got mad that i couldn't get ice cream but like over time it really you, you can sort of weed out reactions because at the end of the day we all just want to be loved mm -hmm. you know and we all want to be healthy yes i think you and i both have benefited from some X factor in our lives that have allowed us to see that type of interaction and see it play out. 
I know a lot of people who just haven't had that benefit. And as you said earlier, there are a lot of people who just have a really hard time acknowledging their own negative self-talk, mm-hmm. the, that the um, self-limiting beliefs, uh, because the brain is so good at fooling us into believing that we are that we're actually in command. Yeah, I've, I've now come use. I'm utilizing a metaphor or an analogy of my life being a ship on the on the ocean of time and experience, mm-hmm. and I'm the captain, and I'm standing on the ship, you know, barking orders and you know, and and heading, uh, setting my heading, and believing that I'm in charge. Mm-hmm. When in fact, all the deckhands, which are my emotions and habits, and what you um, mean, eating and sleeping? Yes. All of the deckhands are actually whispering to each other, you know, saying, this is how we're going to respond now, and mm-hmm. this is where we're going to go. And my first mate, which is my brain, mm-hmm. is spectacularly gifted at communicating what's being said by the deckhands and making me believe that it was my decision. Mm. That's that's how the brain functions most yeah. of the time. Pick a direction in life and you rationalize. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. I like that that you use the term rationalize. The brain, perhaps the most amazing capability of the brain, is to reverse engineer the reaction that it has already determined we're going to take, and make it seem like a rational decision made by us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, are you someone, if I questioned a core aspect of your belief system, your mm-hmm. life, like, mm-hmm. do you regret this? Or like, man, like, you believe that, you like that. Do you take any, like, would you take offense? Like, would you take it as an affront or would you take it as an opportunity to kind of like sharpen like your belief system? Because like, I've noticed, I love when someone challenges like, mm-hmm. wait, that's why I say I like Kanye's because like, it just provokes people to be like, really, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, this is fun to just entertain ideas. Like part, I get to bring up the fact of, it came up like a year ago. I'm like, I don't like judging people on their worst moments. He's yeah. been famous for 20 years. I bet you've done horrible things in the last 20 years. You're not, you don't want to be judged on that day. So it's yeah. like, it, it's brought up interesting new beliefs, but a lot of people don't like being challenged a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm curious, are, having all this, are you someone who enjoys being challenged? So I would like, I would like to say that I am. I do feel like there are, some innate human emotions that when we have, especially this, our most strongly held beliefs, when they are challenged, we tend to, we tend to conflate, to, to, to believe that our beliefs are our identity mm-hmm. rather than something we hold. And um, I've worked in this space for so long, I would like to say I'm above it, but I do know that that our fundamental, our, our base responses, our base reaction is built in. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a constant, it's a work in constant progress yeah. and, and not something that I say, I could say that I've mastered. I don't believe anybody could say that they've mastered it. Yeah. I think you, mastering it with strangers is one thing. And then mastering it with people, I didn't even mean to bring up this much, but Kanye has one lyric that I really like. It's like uh, lifelike. This is what your life's like people really know you push your buttons like a typewriter. And it's like, man, the people who do know, like there's some people and they really know you, they're just like, you know, yeah. it is interesting. But at a certain point, I, 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 I do enjoy it because I'm like, man, if I can just be completely, uh, you know, non-reactive in that situation, how easy is it when a complete stranger um, to the point where, I don't know, I, I really think just a level head takes a long time to kind of 
it understand. Does. But then once you realize, I'm like, there's nothing that people can really do that'll be horrible. You can just like, all right. And there's always time. And you can always interject time with a joke. Or, you know, you can always like interject time, pause and think. And, okay, what's the actual best reaction for how I'm hoping to? You know, if you are trying to make, make an enemy, sure, anger. But otherwise, it's like, all right, maybe just throw a subtle compliment and then comment on the actual yeah. you know, piece of... Yeah, I I think that there is we do have the capability of building uh, building new habits. And that's that's what I'd like to encourage people to consider. Mm-hmm. Habits of true listening. Listening is a hard thing to do honestly. Mm-hmm. Most listening we do for selfish purposes and to be able to listen unselfishly is mm-hmm. really hard. I mean, I'd say everything we do is selfish at this at, at one point in life or not in, at one point in, in the, the primary thought you have all day is, uh, you know, how does this serve me? And me, especially with kids, you have to say, yeah. how does this serve my kids? Which yeah. is an extension of your happiness and health. Because like, if your kids die, you're not happy. So yeah. at a certain point, everything, and you could, I think the, the breakaway point is selfish in society today is short-term gain of, oh, I'm going to put you down to get me up. But selfish reality-wise is finding people who you can do handshake deal, handshake contracts with on the basis of we're going to work together in 10 years, we're both going to succeed together, but we're both going to selfishly, like we both succeed from it. You know, I really think everyone does. I mean, because we make ads. So at a certain point, I have to think, why does someone buy something? Because it makes their life better because it makes them happy. Like, like no one buys something for an unselfish reason. You know, true, true. I would say regarding listening that we do have the ability and I, I've taught this and I've experienced it myself. If I, if I want to understand you, I can step into this conversation with the intent of listening to you to understand your intent. And I, again, as, as you inferred or implied, I can't get in front of the reactions that you might evoke from what you say. But if I am consciously focused on listening to you, then when those responses, those reactions come up, I will feel them in my gut. And I'll be able to acknowledge the fact that I'm having a reaction. I can take just a second to acknowledge that and then set it aside and get back to focusing on you. So So there, there is a process and it can, it is something we can learn. So it's not necessarily super applicable in like two-way conversations or like mentoring or like partnerships. It's more of like just listening with non-action is what you're referring to? No, I, I think we can do it with, in a conversation. To, to learn to do it allows us to engage in conversations in a, with a higher degree of respect in that conversation. So... If without that, every conversation is an argument because everything is going to create triggers. Every conversation is going to generate generate anxiety, and um, uh, so I believe that learning that skill uh, helps in in lots of situations. But it's easiest to point out. It's easiest to describe when going purposefully into a conversation with and the point of listening. So when you go into the with the goal of listening. There's no goal of like giving, like just to hear someone. 
ah, see, that's been a core part of my being. I'm like, I, I never need feel the need to feel heard. But like Rick Dancer, who is now in Montana, who's came on the show three times, he, uh, especially from his youth, like, I don't remember if he said his father, he never felt heard. So that's why he mm. gets people's stories. Is he, he thinks people need to feel heard. If, if I don't feel heard, I just try to say it in a different way. Like, I, 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 I would say I put it on myself of if someone doesn't hear me, I'm not saying it in the right way or i'm okay. saying it in a way that they're interpreting it in one way like if you've spent your whole life in one industry and then i've spent mine in this and you say gamut i'm thinking gamut you, you said that earlier i'm like that's within a color spectrum right but like that might be a completely different thing in your industry so you we just you know the miscommunication can happen there and even if i'm trying to listen but i don't and i, I don't know i don't know and that's a whole other topic i don't yeah. they, i don't claim that i'm right there because obviously if people feel better being heard good for them power to them and if there are people to hear them and I'm not one of them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Even better. Um, so what's, yeah, I don't know. I've, when when's the situation? Does this relate to small bit? Like, do you hear business people, or is this more as like interpersonal in terms of like partners? So all of this. So when it comes to to the book, where it dovetails with where it dovetails with professionals and business owners, is that I have experienced an inordinate number of business owners who do not recognize that their their beliefs about their business are getting in the way of their own progress. Yeah. We just got this camera recently. So I'm still learning a little bit about it. Anyways, their their beliefs get in the way of their own business. Yeah, so the the beliefs that a business owner hold can get in the way of their own growth and progress. And the way that happens as I described earlier, I believe is that business owners typically hold a story in their head about their business and what it is and what it's doing. But you just told me I have to come up with those. Yeah, you do. (laughs) You do. But those stories can be based on fact or they can be based on hope, Mm -hmm. desire, Mm -hmm. thoughts, uh, visions. And while I love visionary stories in fact a, a successive vision story is one of the stories that i that i encourage i had a i had a a professional that i was involved with back in the back in the 90s who handed his financial statements to bankers and i was young at the time didn't know what they were i came and asked about him and he said yeah these those are the financial statements and they need them in order to do their thing i asked him what they said. What do the financials tell us? How are we doing? And his response to me was, I don't want to know what those things say. Okay. I didn't, it surprised me in the moment, but only later after I became a commercial banker and branch manager, and then have helped business owners over the last decade, um, specifically, I've come to realize that in his case, and what I find very common is that he had this story about his business and how well it was doing. At some level, he knew that the financial statements were not going to support that. Wow. And uh, it, is, it is far more common than you might think, where a business owner has an idea about their business and they're unwilling to let that go, um, even when letting go would allow them to make changes to pivot, to take an opportunity that they can't see because the story in their head is just is more important to them. Looking back at armchair ring, do you think they were stressed or do you think they were they re- reduced stress in their life by 
believing that narrative? Well, I think that I think it reduces. I think it reduces stress short term. term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would increase short stress short term for me. That would be like a nightmare. <laughs> I have no idea. I'd just be like, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, Jim Collins in uh, book uh, the book um, Good to Great, what a fantastic business book. Uh, he describes the qualities of a leader who is able to take a, a business that is doing well over time and convert it into a business that's actually doing great. Mm. And that's the, the whole premise of the book. And one of those characteristics is being able to confront the brutal facts. So in that book, he's, he's talking about the same thing. And it's, it is the, the willingness of leadership and management to actually look at things the way they are and not the way they want them to be, mm. which is, it's a common problem. It's a very big uh, parallel kind of just how our own brains work. So I, mm -hmm. I guess like before you kind of tied them together there, I was like, I brought you in, I'm like, okay, he's a lot of small, not to pigeonhole you, I mean, specifically put a label on you, but like, and then the majority of the conversation has been so interesting because I've never met someone who's been so cognizant and, you know, about labels in their life. So it's been very fun. I'm like, holy, other people think about how they label <laughs> themselves as being self kind of yeah. fulfilling in their, their own reality. So it's, it's been a joy, but, um, and eventually I do want to get it back. So are these just two specific different paths in your life and you're bringing to them together with the book or are you kind of implement a lot of what you know with your work currently? So I began in 2002 when I started in banking, I very quickly was asked to be a branch manager in a branch that was struggling, actually the whole bank at that time was struggling with employee dissatisfaction. Mm -hmm. I looked up change management models because I wanted to figure out a way to at least help my branch function effectively. And I came across a model called appreciative inquiry, which is change management built around positive storytelling. So it's a way to remind employees of the value that they're providing and provide examples of the good that they're doing by pulling out specific stories that mm -hmm. they themselves share. Yeah. Um, and I had spectacular success with that. Nice. Then a few years later, I actually became a competitive speaker and started thinking more speaker? about... Yeah, it was a toast, <laughs> it's a Toastmasters thing. Oh, nice. I went to yes. Toastmasters once. And... Um, and got uh, started looking more closely at stories. And eventually, during the downturn of 09, the real estate crash, I built a curriculum around organizational storytelling and professional narrative to help professionals overcome the, the feelings of anxiety and, and incapability that they were walking around with during that time. So I built a curriculum around storytelling. So it's important. Yeah. So this work is, it's all, it's all come together over time. Um, and the work personally, uh, about personal labels, uh, the dynamics are exactly the same. Ultimately we are defined by the stories that we wrap around ourselves. Yeah. And the stories that we choose are determined by the labels that we've affixed. Have you considered right? doing this as a dissertation? <laughs> like as an actual, it seems like, it, like you're very academic about it. You're very knowledgeable. It, it seems like, I'm so curious, but really quickly before I formally ask that, yeah. I have to say the best example of what you, because um, I, I haven't heard your sound, like the, 
the examples um quentin tarantino so being on a film set you get exhausted you know you start this thing all the actors everyone's exhausted you finally get the take at seven um after they get a, a, a good take they say all right and we're going to do one more and why do we do it and every single person on set says because we love making movies like that's a very you know yeah. and it's not quite an example of someone saying like i did this mm -hmm. and it helped this person so then i feel better about work but it's just everyone kind of collectively saying like just putting it back in their minds of like we have this job because we chose it but because we love it and like we love it I think things like that, Kenzie and I both are like, as soon as we saw it, because we're just watching documentaries behind the scenes, we're like, we got to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Powerful, powerful. Very powerful, very powerful. Because those are the types of, it seems like a very simple thing, but with consistency comes belief. Yeah. And, and that just becomes one of the defining characteristics. That's a story that each of them on the set think about themselves. This is... I'm someone who at the end of the day is going to yell out with everybody else because we love making movies, yeah. right? And it just becomes an identifying and It's a positive habit. identifier. Positive, positive identifier. identifiers are so much cooler. Like I like, like, I guess society today almost like you can't go around like, I'm really happy or it's like whatever. It's really hard, like Society isn't it? really like, you know, like, oh, hey, if you say you're anxious and depressed, you'll get like, you know, brownie, like, you know, you'll get praise or you get, you, know, you get attention. The, you get the the warm fuzzies from, from negative, from we're, you know? we're in, uh, incentivizing, especially youth yes. who really want community. We're incentivizing them and saying, hey, if you identify in a way that's negative about your, wow, that's. <laughs> Think of all the positive strokes you're going to get. Yeah, I have a friend, um, online friend, somebody I've known for decades. And uh, for the life of me, I can't, I can't help her get out of the habit of expressing seemingly all the challenges that she's facing. Um, having been around her, I know that there are a lot of positives that she could share as well, but she's far less interested in sharing those. Mm. And, I, I, and it, it reminds me a bit of my mom mm. and, and really sort of diving in, totally embracing the, the, a disempowering mm -hmm. label. Um, yeah. Interesting. It's a it, challenge. To be fair, I do like with, if I have a friend who's maybe like, you know, like they're, you know, they're not the greatest place in life. Like I'm not going to share all my wins with them. No, no. So it's like, there is interesting, but like someone like yourself or I have some friend, obviously Mark, like you can tell the really, really good news too. So it is kind of a place in time. Yeah. You can facade maybe, yep. you know, having one of those, but like, cause it's, man, it's just, it's so interesting. And every time I do this and I'm like self like reflecting, I'm like, why do I act this way? I'm like. We just, I just want the people around me to be happy. Like, I just, I just don't like just, you know, I don't know. It's really interesting, like, why we all tick. So at the end of the day, I, I could be not completely self-sufficient, but happy with just me and Kenzie and then the person I'm mm -hmm. working for. But, like, I don't know, because friends are at a certain point, like, I don't know, just <laughs> a burden. Like, man, like, I wake up at 4 p.m. and I'm like, I have to bail on something. It's a lot. But, like, at the end of the day, I just want everyone to feel happy about themselves and good yeah. about themselves. Right. So right. you do a lot to kind of, uh, it's in the departed, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. So like keep an even keel, like, you know, you like maybe just say some stuff. It's just, I don't know. Did you grow up in a household? Maybe not even your parents, but like maybe like a teacher or a friend, like, do you have examples of people who would get unhappy? He's like, Oh no, that person's sad. Uh, or that person's angry. Did you start, did you learn at any specific point that you can maybe point to in your, maybe you had a partnership earlier that made you realize like, okay, I'm going to make a conscious effort to make everyone around me like just generally kind of not feel these ways because I don't like being around them as much. Selfish, yeah, <laughs> uh, I have been, again, I feel, I once said, I posted online that I was very lucky to have 
been able to make this change after my accident. And somebody posted later and said, you weren't lucky. It took a lot of self-reflection and a lot of whatever. You're lucky that you had that self-reflection. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, I, and I, I didn't respond because I didn't want to turn it into something. But I was lucky because I didn't, I wasn't coached to do that. Um, I honestly, when I go back in my life, I feel like, you know, I was always more, just, I was always more interested in the teacher than the kids around me. I was, uh, I was pretty academic. My mom really struggled with identity, uh, with her own identity. And maybe it was in reaction to that, even when I was a kid, maybe seeing that and wanting to, wanting to respond in a different way, in a positive way that she might model I don't know. Mm, interesting. I, I really don't know. I haven't been able to identify where that comes from, which is why I say I'm lucky, mm -hmm. really lucky. And it's also why if I were to try and write the book immediately after making this change in the early 90s, I wouldn't be able to write it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to say. Still living it. It's been, it's been you know, 40 years of, of work in this or thinking about this topic. Um, that has informed where I can help people. Because like you said, I just, I want anybody who is ready for a change, who might be inspired, catalyzed by the idea that they can pull off a label, sort of recognize, oh yeah, I'm walking around with these labels and I can take them off. Mm -hmm. I want anybody who's at that point in their life to, to, get what they need to make it happen. I should say, and I probably should start every interview with this, I know that there are conditions that are not just, that don't allow for choice, right? If, if, someone, um, if someone is clinically depressed, there, there are chemical imbalances involved with that. Well, right? when I went through uh, Dianetics, they told me those were negative aberrant. I'm kidding. I, I yeah. read into Scientology yeah. one day, and they say like they, I don't know, I don't know why I was interested. And I was going to watch a Tom Cruise movie or something. Yeah. They, they claim that like all of those things are just like negative core memories that are part of still how you define yourself. So it's, mm -hmm. I thought it was a kind of funny yeah. joke, but like no, it, absolutely, the, people have very real mental imbalances. Yes. So I, I know there are people, and and actually a good a friend of mine, Frank King. Um, you know, he would challenge me on a lot of this because he's one who has suffered with, with suicide. He's actually a stand-up comedian who talks about his own bout with suicide and has become a, um, become a, I think he's the, he's, I think he's given the largest number of TED, TED talks in the world. <laughs> I think wow. he's, I think he's given 10 official TED talks or 11 official, official TED talks. Not TEDx. Uh, they might but be TEDx, but good. either way, yeah. I think, I think 11 is the number. Um, and, and that's his, that's his focus is, and he would say that to, to come up with any type of solution that is, that is, hey, just think differently. It, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work for him because mm. he struggles with a chemical imbalance that generates the, these feelings. And so I don't want anybody thinking that I'm answering that that problem yeah right to completely divert away from yep. this uh to go back so we're 45 minutes in now yeah. um and i gotta admit i partially maybe not 
selfishly because we all are i was like man like before he moves i'm curious if i can get like some bigger picture ideas of like you know th there will be a lot of things i'm like man i wish i thought about asking that or like fine like i'm not so much to ask you questions mm -hmm. or advice but ask you to really like um so defining those three things which i'll have to listen back to and honestly i just want to put straight up on the website those are good but then not living by them if they're not reality so not uh, continuing them them do you have any other kind of bigger picture thing and just uh, for reference obviously we just have one client right now mm -hmm. um honestly we can't really say what our solution is or what makes us different because what makes it different is my ideal goal in life is to not have to have contracts so deal with everything on handshakes mm -hmm. and if the first one doesn't go well and i lose out on a couple grand i don't care i'm never going to work with you again my whole goal would be to work with people that I'm going to be working with indefinitely. The compounding interest of having that trust that yeah. it will work out mutually in a mutually beneficial way of just like the the peace of mind. I think is so important and just being like low um, bureaucracy, but just enjoyable to work with and trustworthy. But then it's like you know I don't know if like virtue. You can't say I'm an honest person because then you're like that's a tr kind of a suspect thing for you you can't yeah. virtue signal something that you have to show yeah so it's it'll be interesting for how we kind of formulate that but at the end of the day i mean that's really how if i lose money but i learn not to work with someone because then if i got to a bigger project and then they were a headache to work with and oh the, they had a better lawyer for the contract and i didn't i didn't really read it i'm like man because i've been fortunate enough to work with probably four or five people in my life that i could just do a large deal with on a handshake and have complete peace of mind to be able to sleep at night that it'll work out. So from my work at the SBDC at Rain, I would could certainly never counsel you to do that. No, that's your decision. Not, yes. <laughs> that you know that that is a business choice that you're making, and and I respect it. You love the reason. Yeah, you right? could not have a contract at the position you're in. Like, right. it is necessary for absolutely right. some things. Right. Um, so. So if you're asking me kind of the big picture thing, so I'm gonna, actually I will continue the top line so the of the, what I call the clarity framework, which is this one page business plan. Maybe you can send it to me afterwards. I'd yeah, love I'll to do that, I'll do that, I'm happy to. So there are, there are four different categories. The first two, and the first two are the most important and we don't progress until we've nailed it. To Maslow's for business. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> so the first one is your business idea, which I already described. Mm -hmm. The second one is called measures of success. So how are you going to measure success in this business? And I require a financial figure. Mm. Right? Because I can't help you build a successful business until you know what it is you want to accomplish with it. Mm -hmm. If you want to so generate- I can't measure it in free time. Cause that's the whole thing. The, the money would only equate to how much free time I get per year. Okay. Know? And free time is fine, but you have to be able to identify how much money you're going to, you're okay. going to earn yeah. over, you know, over a certain amount of time or okay. within, within a certain amount of hours to give you the free time. Certain you amount. Want. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, It'll always come to business is there, there are transactions in business. So there will always be a number mm -hmm. and I, requ I require it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then the next one is the tough one for people because they don't want to do it, which is taking that measure of success, taking their business idea and asking how many of these ideas do I have to produce and sell in order to achieve this goal? Mm. And so it, it, be, it becomes a matter of numbers. Mm. A lot of people really struggle with those three. 
mm-hmm. make actually getting to a point where they're saying, um, I need to do X amount of business. And the best example of this actually was uh, during the 90s when I was on the board of the Watercolor Society of Oregon because I began my professional life as an artist. I'm on their board and they asked me to give a presentation on the numbers, the, just the financial realities of doing business as a professional artist. Mm-hmm. And I asked a very simple thing. If you wanted to make, I made the, made the math really easy. If you wanted to make $26,000 a year doing your art, okay, that's not very much, but I made it easy, right? $26,000. 25 be easy? No, 26 <laughs> is easier because there are 52 weeks in a year. Oh, yeah. There okay. So if I'm going to net $26,000 and the gallery is always going to take half, roughly, I need to sell $1,000 of art every week in order to end up with $26,000 in my bank account. That's not counting any other any other expenses. Yeah. But let's just say you're a watercolorist, so paints are cheap. So um, that, that puts in perspective for a lot. <laughs> it is really simple. And honestly, I just sucked the life out of that room. Oh, I bet. Because nobody in that room, barring a couple true professionals, nobody in that room had actually gone through the math. Everyone in that room considered themselves a professional artist. Mm-hmm. And the vast 95% of them weren't anywhere close to that. Wow. I wasn't anywhere close to that. Mm-hmm. I actually suffered from all of that, the living in the ambiguity because it's safe mm-hmm. if, and I'm not accountable to anything if it's not clear. I lived in that space myself. And um, it was only going through this exercise myself that I realized I was so far from being the artist, I, being the, the professional that I had planned on being mm-hmm. and ultimately made decisions to change because of that. Wow. I'm yeah. dying to hear the fourth step. Not to, not to just like pass over that. Oh, well, like, yeah. I am genuinely listening. Yeah. But. So the fourth step is um, proof of demand. So this is the, the final piece to get a business really ready to even start um, sketching out is do you actually have demand yeah. for all of this? So if we're past the, like we started the business because the first four steps were existing and mm-hmm. Kenzie and I were independently just taking money for doing shared work. Yeah. And we're like, let's put a name to it. And then, I mean, a month went into finding it and the company name, it's nowhere. We got... All the the email, the website, the socials, everything. Good marketing works. Okay, excellent. How crazy is that? <laughs> it's goodmarketing.works. So yeah. instead of goodmarketingworks.com, because that's some Finnish company or whatever, yeah. but good marketing works. And we're like, oh, it's just, it, it says it all in it because we're going to put our names or whatever. And we're like, nope, good marketing that's works. Brilliant. Yeah. So we're really happy. And now, like, we're still, like, just, you know, going to take in it. it just uh, independently, and then we're just going to get a shared credit card and just pay off half of it for expenses. We're so, I, and my my rationale behind maybe stand on. Hopefully, this isn't too personal. Kenzie can explain this a little part of it. But if I had a contractor, mm-hmm. if I had two contractors that were for each one amount of money, or one contracting service for twice that amount, it seems like. And then I was at a place where I was cutting. I'd be like, oh, I can cut one thing and save twice as much money as cutting two things. Is that logical, or would it be simpler? To, to just do it together and then split it on our end? 
Yeah. Pragma <laughs> pragmatically, I don't know that it's going to make a whole lot of difference. I feel like that's actually an um, that's actually an emotional. I think that's a relationship decision. And oh no, yeah. we're we're happy either way. Yeah. We're thinking of psychologically the con the person who's contracting who's contracting us. Would they see one big number? as more than two little numbers because you're getting two people each for that much worse you're getting one and you know th this yeah. is this is where this is coming from yeah. is like i'm like you must have dealt with this a lot more well so where i can see that um where i can see that is the perception that by hiring two i have two different teams working so it seems like there's a larger team working if i if i've got two contracts out there yeah. as opposed to one i think rather than the money the money is going to be a wash and i'll see that pretty quickly but i do feel like there might be benefit in in yeah. having it sp spread out yeah yeah for that know, reason th these are like the, the places where we're at where we're like hi and the biggest thing and i've kind of sussed it out so uh Quarterly estimated payments, those are just like, you know, for fun. They're like, you don't have to actually do them. <laughs> like my real thing is I'm like, they charge you like four or five or 6% a year, but then Apple's has a savings account that gives you 4% a year. So yeah. I'm like, couldn't I just put it in there and it's yeah. kind of near a wash at the end or roughly 2%. I don't know. These are these things, would I go to Rain or would I go to SBDC? Um, I'd go to SBDC for that. Actually, cool. I'd, well, yeah, you could go to the SBDC for that. They could get you an answer pretty quickly. I'd also, I, I would encourage you to find a to find a CPA or accountant who can also help you with that. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know. Like it, and lately, when people are like, "Oh, so like you like," we aren't necessarily looking for work. Like we're not measuring it in money because we're just yeah. like our primary thing in life. I'm like, it's summer. I don't want to be inside video editing all day. Like. I think a lot of people, if your goal is a, f a monetary number, it can be good. But at a certain point, your happiness and health yeah. really dictate everything in your life. If you're killing yourself to hit that number. Why are you doing it? You yeah. know? Yeah. No, I don't disagree with you. I will say that for a business to be built effectively, yeah. you have to understand it's a, 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 a business machine. is a machine. It's accounting for more than just like an independent or a couple of people you're counting for. Yeah. Like, yeah so, so if I were counseling, I would say, let's build the business to allow you all the free time you're looking for, right? That's, that's yeah. the, that's the machine you want to create, mm -hmm. but to ignore the numbers, mm -hmm. you don't know if you're ignoring the numbers, you don't know when you're pretty soon going to lose the flexibility, lose the freedom yep. to take advantage of the hours you want to take advantage of. That so, so I would still counsel to, to, to build the machine as it will work. And if I can just recognize that almost everybody who starts a business believes that most everybody in the world needs and wants what they have to offer. And all they have to do is get that product out there and everything's going to be fine. Good marketing works. <laughs> That's what we're here for. No, I'm kidding. Well, and the, so we don't feel that as a marketing company. We're yeah. like, you know, like some companies, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It's, it's fat. Like being a marketing company is weird because you're specifically saying people believe that marketing is all they need for their business to work. But we're marketing or like we'd be marketing ourselves. I yeah. don't know. It gets it gets very meta when, <laughs> you, when you start looking at it. Yeah. But most um, most business owners, if they've got a product, they've got a service they want to do. I had the same uh, situation when I built my I had a consulting company in 2009 and 10. Um, and I had built this hybrid model that I was sure everybody in the world would need and want. 
And what I found was that there were two pieces of this. Half the people who were participating wanted one piece. The other half wanted the other piece. Almost nobody wanted both. Mm. And it created this, it wasn't a, a toxic dynamic, but it wasn't a productive dynamic. And, and so we can all fool ourselves into believing that the world wants what we have. Mm-hmm. And products like the, the, um, uh, the pet rock, you know, sort of prove that. Mm-hmm. But even pet rock was solving a problem for somebody. Yeah. And, and so really focusing in and, and proving that you have a market for your idea mm-hmm. is essential. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, so do you, you mostly, and just to like kind of wrap both things up, because okay. man, I'm really like, you have two massive, I'm curious, do you have a third? We can't get into it today. No, 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 no. no. So like, we'll just leave it there. So those are your like two main kind of uh, things that bring you genuine interest and you drive like, man, I'm like, because learning feels really good, doesn't it? It, it feels does. like an explorer of just like, oh, that's an interesting idea. There have been two themes that I've landed on. The first one was storytelling and identity mm-hmm. and and that's what I'm going back to with the book. I'm excited to read it. Uh, beginning with the, uh, actually with the Springfield Chamber back in 2015, 16, when I started there through the SBDC and RAIN, I have really embraced the concept of clarity and recognizing that, that how much the human loves ambiguity because it's safe, it's warm, it's comfortable, doesn't require me to accomplish anything. Yeah. It's such a comfortable space, and I myself feel that all the time. Um, and so those are the two different themes. They actually tie together pretty pretty quickly, Absolutely. but those are those are two different themes that I've been focused on over the last 20 years. I'm uh, excited yeah. for if in three years you do end up coming back. I would I would mm-hmm. absolutely love to to speak with you and just see if I can get an advanced copy of the cookbook as it's becoming further along. I would love to read it. That'd Excellent. Be a, a, a thank per, you. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, I appreciate it. All right.